Heavenly Father, help us to always remember, to remember you. We thank you that you have given us so many landmarks, so many memories, so many miracles to remember of your goodness, of your love, your kindness to us, of victories and trials you brought us through, and mostly of your saving grace. We pray for the message today. We pray that you will help us to think about and focus on what it is you want from each one of us and for each one of us. We love you and we thank you for your presence with us today and for this time together. In the precious name of your Son, we pray. Amen. My dear friend Mike Souza introduced me to that song 20 years ago. Thank you, Mike. And it brings tears to my eyes. He's remembered us. In our busy lives and in our busy worlds, in times of great prosperity or in desperate need, he's calling out, I've remembered you. Remember me. It's poignant. The older I get, the more I realize how difficult it is remembering things. How fragile memories are, how fragile the mind is. A, a woman shares a story about her poor memory, and she, she writes this. She said, after a meeting, I was coming out of a hotel, and I was looking for my car keys. They weren't in my pockets. In a quick search in the meeting room, they weren't there. Suddenly, I realized I must have left them in the car. My husband has shouted many times, for leaving the keys in the ignition. My theory is the ignition's the best place to find them. His theory is the car will be stolen. Well, immediately I rushed to the parking lot. I, I, I came upon a terrifying conclusion. His theory was right. The parking lot was empty. I immediately called the police. I gave them my location, car number, the description of the place where I parked, and I equally confessed that I had left my keys in the car and, and it had been stolen. And then I made the most difficult call of all to my husband. Honey, I stammered. I always call him honey in those times, she says. <laughs> I left my keys in the car and it's been stolen. There was a period of silence. I thought the call had been dropped, but <laughs> then I heard his voice. Sweetheart, he exclaimed in frustration, I dropped you off at the hotel. <laughs> now it was my time to be silent, she says. Embarrassed, I said, okay, well, no harm. Come, come in and pick me up. He shouted again, I will as soon as I manage to convince the police officer that I haven't stolen your car. <laughs> oh, boy. Remembering can be tough, but it's important. We're going to look at exactly that topic today, remembering. We're going to look at what God wants us to remember, when he wants us to remember, and exactly how he expects us to remember. And I love that scripture is filled with so many countless instances of God asking us to remember of the Lord seeking to be in our memories and, and on our minds. 
See, God knows the importance of our memory. We as human beings, well, we don't know what tomorrow might bring. Sometimes we don't even understand the path we're on today. But we sure remember what took place yesterday, right? Our entire judicial system is built on what's already happened. Precedence. All right? We can hold on to precedence, to legacies, to memories. And from His Old Testament urgings to remember His commands, to Christ's Lord's Supper, His Last Supper, when He says, what it's written here, do this in remembrance of Me. We're asked to remember time and time again. So much of Scripture is devoted to that cause. Remembering the Lord. Remember. Remember, we might say. How can we forget? He's God, but we do forget. Between our busy lives and our busy minds, between the the, the noise of this world and the noise of our emotions and our fears and our doubts and worries, we forget. We're forgetful people. In good times and in bad, we forget. But do you think you could ever forget being rescued from prison? I don't think so. But look what Deuteronomy 5.15 says. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This was addressed to the nation of Israel. Of course they remember, right? They, they, they were taken captives and, and prisoners. Of course they remember their years of slavery under the heavy hand of Pharaoh. Of course they remember how God miraculously delivered them with those plagues, the ten plagues. Of course they remember how he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, don't they? Well, let's take a look. Exodus chapter 14. After years of captivity in Egypt, the Lord miraculously rescued the nation of Israel and He turned Pharaoh's heart to let them go. We remember the story. We've heard it since we were kids. Through His servant Moses, He led them out of Egypt and on their way to the promised land. And this portion takes place immediately after their exit from Egypt. And we'll pick it up in verse 4. Exodus chapter 14, verse 4. You can follow in your Bibles or look up at the screens. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and we've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt and officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. So God turns Pharaoh's heart again, this time to pursue, to chase them down the fleeing Israelites. See, God was positioning the making of a miracle. Don't ever think that God isn't in control. In your trial, in your circumstance, in your storm that seems out of control, He's still on His throne. He's still in control. He wanted to give Israel 
a memorial, a landmark, something to remember and something to build up their faith. So pick it up in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. So it's important to understand the scene. So there were unclimbable mountain ranges to each side of, of the, Egypt, of the uh, Israelites, to the right and to the left. The Egyptian army was hot on their tail, chasing them down. And in front of them was the Red Sea. So they were trapped. They were boxed in. There was literally nothing they could do. There wasn't one more step they could take in any direction. God boxed them in. And all they could do was look up to God. And that's when God loves to work, isn't it? Verse 11, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So already they've conceded. Already they forgot the miraculous way God allowed Pharaoh to let them go. Did they forget their chains? Did they forget that they lived lives of slavery under the heavy hand of the Egyptians? Did they forget those plagues that God sent on Pharaoh and the Egyptians and protected them? Did they already forget how he turned Pharaoh's heart to let them go? Verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Promise. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Promise. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Dry ground, not moist ground, not muddy ground. When God does a miracle, he goes all the way. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And I love that we don't read a response from Moses, a rebuttal, an excuse. He was done with that. He doesn't question God any longer. Lord, you want me to... What? What? Come again? I don't, I don't think... No. Moses remembers. Moses remembers the burning bush where God talked to him, told him what to do, and he questioned God and gave him every excuse in the book, but God proved him wrong. Moses remembers those monumental miracles in Egypt that built his faith. So he doesn't question. There's someone who remembers God and lives by faith. So let's pick it up, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. 
The Egyptians pursued them in all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Remember the promise? Stand still, the Lord will fight for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Promise fulfilled. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Wow. Stamp it. Landmark memory. As a member of that group, you witnessed what was arguably one of the greatest miracles ever recorded in history, the parting of the Red Sea. Your life was changed from that moment on. You saw the hand of God more clearly, more powerfully, more more directly than at any time in your life. We read about it today and, and we're amazed. Imagine, imagine having lived through it, been part of that group. You, you couldn't help but be renewed, inspired, awestruck, resolved to a greater faith and a deeper life. That would be our natural reaction, wouldn't it? But let's turn just one chapter later. Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. Well, that's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? A few verses later, The Lord miraculously produces clear, fresh water by having Moses throw a piece of wood into the bitter water of Marah. Stamp, landmark memory. Later, to provide food in the desert, the Lord sends manna from heaven. Once again, another miracle, another landmark memory, Exodus 16. So Moses and Aaron, verse 6, said to the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. The entire trip is one long series, 40 years of this, of God providing, coming through in a miraculous way. And literally one chapter later, grumbling, complaining, and forgetting. 
What happened? How could they fear? How could they grumble and, and complain? Did they forget the miracles? They didn't take place that long ago. Did they forget those incidents that are etched in history as some of the greatest miracles of all time? Miracles of God's providence and love. Did they forget those landmark memories? And are we today, as individuals, really that different from the forgetful nation wandering the Sinai Desert? One of the first things you learn about in computer system design is memory. And here we turn to the human mind and the human memory because the ideas and design for any and every good thing produced by man is inspired by that which God, the great designer, has already produced. So when we examine the human mind, we learn that there are three types of memory. And, and most of us are familiar with this terminology. First, there's the sensory memory. This is the briefest of memories. It's stimulated by the senses. Something we see, we, we smell, we feel in our hands. And as soon as the scene passes or the smell fades, it's gone. It's lost. Any part of it that is maintained is transferred to the next memory. The second memory is short-term memory. And the short-term memory acts as a scratch pad, temporary recall of information that we're processing. For instance, in order to understand the sentence that I'm speaking, you need to hold in your mind the beginning of the sentence until you hear the rest. That's how our mind works. Short-term memory decays rapidly, and it also has limited capacity. Chunking of information can help. It, uh, it can increase the capacity of short-term memory. That's the reason we hyphenate phone numbers, right? It's easier to remember blocks or chunks of numbers than one long string of numbers. And uh, the successful formation of a chunk like that is known as closure. Interference causes disturbance in short-term memory retention. When you're trying to memorize something, a number, and I speak other numbers, right? There's a disturbance in that. And that accounts for the desire to complete tasks as quickly as possible that are held in short-term memory. So finally, the, the deepest memory is long-term memory. And that's intended for storage of information over a long period of time. And information from the working memory is transferred to it after a, a few seconds. And unlike in working memory, there's little decay. But it's important to note that only through the processing, the repetitive processing of what's in our short-term memory, the process of memorization, that we can place information into our long-term memory. So we might say that the nation of Israel had very good short-term memory, but very poor long-term memory. They initially praised God and they thanked him for his miracles. The last verse of chapter 14 that we read there says, when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Wonderful. All is good. We're trusting in God. We believe Moses. But one chapter later, we have no water, no hope, no trust and no faith. That's what we refer to as poor, long-term memory. No memory of what God had done just a, a short while ago. No memory of what he already brought us through. 
no memory of our lives as slaves and captives in a foreign land. Sadly, as imperfect human beings, we all have breaking points, don't we? Right? Areas of discomfort in our lives that throw off our trust. They cloud our judgment. They break our faith. They mess with our memory of what God has done in our past. For the nation of Israel, it was physical discomfort. Take away their shade or their water, and faith flies out the window. What's that area for you? Is it financial discomfort? When the funds are low, when the budget is tight, our hopes sink. Our faith in God falters, and we completely forget his past providence, his past deliverance. Is it emotional discomfort? Do we, do we fill our minds and emotions with fears of what if, what might or might not happen? Do we fill in the blanks for our future and in so doing sink to lows of depression, faithlessness, and apathy? How about other influences in our lives? People, friends. Do we have friends or do we keep company with those in our lives who turn our hearts away from the Lord? Identify it. What is it? What is it in your life today that causes you to forget what God has done? When did it happen? When did life get so difficult that we forgot God? When did things get so bad that we forgot God? When did you become so busy or distracted or disillusioned or jaded? When did you become so successful that you forgot God? Yeah, sadly, for many, that point is prosperity, the good times. See, we can remember God when we're at the end of our ropes and, and times are difficult and we've run out of solutions on our own. But when things are going well, when the job is smooth, the friends are plentiful, the vacations are on the horizon and, and the funds are flowing, we forget God. We place God on the back burner. We, we don't need you right now. Don't call us, we'll call you. It isn't simply God urging us to remember what he's done in our lives as an encouragement in difficult times. It's a reminder of our responsibilities throughout every day of our lives. So this brings us to our first point. What exactly does God want us to remember? And it's a good list. And it's a long list. He wants us to remember him. He wants us to remember the love he had for us while we lived our lives caring nothing for Him. He wants us to remember that He sent His only Son to be born into this world and die on Calvary's cross as our substitute. He wants us to remember that He offered us the free gift of salvation simply by accepting and receiving His Son as our Savior. He wants us to remember what He brought us out of and what He brought us into. He wants us to remember those first days of our early Christian walk when he encouraged us and strengthened us, when he gently drew us closer and closer to him. He wants us to remember those battles, those struggles that he brought us through where, where impossible miracles were made possible by him. He wants us to remember the blessings of our lives, not so much for the blessings but for the source of those blessings. He is the source of every good 
and perfect gift in our lives. He wants us to remember those times when we obeyed Him. And He blessed us. And He also wants us to remember those times we didn't obey. The missteps we took and the results of our actions. And the changes we made and the lessons we learned. He wants us to remember that our eternal home is with Him. And that our lives are but a breath, a vapor. He wants us to remember to tell others the good news to live like we mean it, and to make every day count for Him. Do you have landmarks in your life with God? We read about several of those landmark moments today, didn't we? In Israel's history. How about you? Moments of God's providence that you can't forget. What do you remember? Do you have points in your life where God met you in your need? They're not necessarily monumental in scope, but they're monumental to you. In your loneliness and despair, He came and filled the empty spaces of your heart and He gave you joy. That time when when you didn't have the money to make ends meet, but He found a way to meet your needs. That time in your Christian walk when He helped you to overcome, to overcome an addiction, to overcome a habit, an attitude of fear. That relationship that was so broken, but he mended it. That time that you stepped out in faith and looked to him to guide you, and he did. That stand you took, remember? The stand you took for him despite the mocking you feared from those around you. And you could almost see his smile and sense how proud he was of you. You see, these are the landmark moments in our lives. These are the memories that we must hold on to and ponder and renew in our minds. And that's how faith grows. That's how our faith grows. We trust Him more for the future because we remember what He's done for us in the past. We can remember and we're inspired to trust Him more and more, to stretch our faith and to dive in with all our hearts. See, everything God desires to have us remember should already be on our minds daily. If you're here today, and and this this is a foreign concept to you, if you're now realizing that you've never truly turned your life over to God, that you've never accepted and received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't wait another day. Don't wait another hour Make the decision today to begin to enjoy true happiness. Accept Him as your Savior. He will give you joy. He will give you joy that nothing can take away. And a security in knowing that your eternal future is in heaven. And I promise you it will be the greatest landmark memory of your life. So it becomes apparent from what God wants us to remember, when He wants us to remember, in every situation and circumstance of life. See, it isn't enough to remember God only in the low valleys, just like it isn't enough to remember Him on the mountaintops and the peaks of our lives. Every day should be a day of remembrance for us as followers of Christ. If we remember daily, think about it. How would our lives change? Amazingly. Amazingly, it would drive a a behavior in our lives 
and an attitude of thanksgiving, of gratitude. Things wouldn't bother us as much. The things that annoy us, you know what? We put them in perspective. A constant remembrance of what God has done for us inspires a certain kind of living. It, it, it changes our priorities, doesn't it? It inspires us to live with God as our number one priority. It inspires us to live to want to serve Him and His people first and foremost. It inspires us to live a life which takes stands for Him. A life where our actions, our words, our thoughts and behavior match our beliefs and match what we say. So yes, the short answer is when? Always and everywhere. That's when we are to remember. And moreover, to live like we remember. In our homes, our workplaces, our schools, with our families, our friends, our co-workers, on Sunday morning, Friday night, and every day of the week. Remember Him. Remember what He's done for you and live your life in light of that memory. Remember who you are. You're a child of the King. Ransomed, redeemed, and sanctified. That's how much He thought of you. Jesus went all the way to get you back. Live like it. Live so your stands are obvious to the world around you. Remember Him. And our last point, how are we expected to remember? I know how busy our lives and our worlds and our minds can get. So how can we always remember? There's so many things we're trying to juggle, so many things to remember. And time has a way of of dulling the memory, doesn't it? We're moved every time there's a tragedy in the news, right, in our country, in the world. We're resolved to want to make a change. But the farther away we're removed from the incident, the memory fades, doesn't it? The urgency fades. Of course we remember, but as the years pass, time has a way of making the memories fade. We may still remember, but not with that initial vividness, right? Not with that initial intensity, not with the same emotion we had at first. Time has a way of dulling the memory. So how can we always remember what God wants us to remember? The importance of those lessons, those landmarks, those memories. Well, much like we talked about in the human memory, the process of repetition, memorization, when we spend time dwelling on what God has done for us, who He is, who we are, and how He expects us to live, when we spend time in His Word reviewing those landmarks, when we spend time in thought and prayer reviewing the landmarks in our own lives, when we continually think upon, process, and renew those memories in our minds, they become etched in our hearts and in our minds. And that's how we remember. We make an explicit and deliberate effort to remember. Have you ever heard the phrase, take time to remember? It never made sense to me. It seems an odd notion. Remembering doesn't take time. Either you do or you don't. Either you remember it or you don't. No. No, we must take time. I get it now. We have to devote time to remembering every day. That's what quiet time with the Lord should produce. That's what prayer should build up. These are daily reminders to us as forgetful human beings. We're reminded and we're renewed. We're encouraged and inspired. And through the process, we are etching God and His principles 
and his blessings to us and his work in our lives into our hearts and into our minds. Amen? So today ask yourself, am I remembering God in my life? Do my actions, words, thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors reflect the life of one who truly remembers what God has done for them and how he expects them to live in light of that? This is where the nation of Israel faltered. See, they, they recognized God's providence, His blessings, His miracles, but they never took time to remember, to etch those blessings and those lessons into their hearts and minds. The, the surrounding disturbances were just too much for them. The discomforts were too much for them. So what's holding you back, friend? What are those disturbances in your life that are keeping you away from God? Whatever they are, ask yourself, Are they worth it? Are they worth the worry and the despair and the fear and the loneliness? I think you'll find the answer is no. Whatever they are, it's time to put them behind you. God wants so much more for your life. In him is life and life more abundant. Start living it. Remember. I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know what the the circumstances of where your life is at, but God's advice in every situation, in every circumstance is the same regardless. Remember me. Turn your heart toward God. In that physical ailment where every medical opinion and option seems to give you no hope, God is calling out, remember me. In that trial you're walking through, when it seems no one can understand, God is calling out, remember me. In times of triumph and celebration, in the joy of receiving blessing after blessing in your life, God is calling out, remember me. If you spent your life apart from God, having never received his free offer of salvation, if you've searched for love, searched for hope, searched for contentment and just some peace in life. But you've come up empty-handed and broken-hearted. God is there, and he's calling out, remember me. And as you fill your life and your children's lives with activities and pursuits and goals and dreams, God is calling out, remember me. In your quest for financial gain, for prosperity, for status, in your emotional battles, your relationship struggles, in times of storm and in times of calm, God is calling out, remember me. In the energy and efforts of our youth, God is calling out, remember me. And as the days of our lives ebb away, as the years pass by and the day begins to fade, God is calling out, remember me. Don't let this moment pass without pledging to remember. With genuine heart, go back. Take stock. Remember and renew. And never forget that he's there. He's always there. And he waits patiently for you. I've remembered you. Remember me. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, help us to remember. 
Help us at every point and at every turn in our lives to remember you. Help us to remember the landmarks in our lives where you've met us, the blessings in our lives which you've given us, the the eternal security which you offered to us and secured for us through your Son. Help us to remember the way you want us to live. Help us to make you a priority in our lives, to live lives that honor and glorify you. We're so thankful that we have so much to remember. And as we depart now, we pledge to make it our daily commitment to step back, to spend time with you in remembrance and renewal. We love you, and we offer you all of our gratitude. In the precious name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Amen.